Welcome into another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman. It is officially episode 19. We're only one away from the monumental episode 20. Hopefully, we can have an actual interview. However, we do have a special edition interview once again. Before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. It's obviously no copyright music, so it's free. I'd like to thank you guys for that. With me being a broke college student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them on YouTube, No Copyright Music. It's been a bit since the last episode, thanks to working 55-hour weeks the past couple months, but we're officially back, folks. Look out for some more content coming in the next couple months, including a recap of the season to date, as well as some surprise interviews along the way. On today's episode of Behind the Catch Fence, we went outside the box and brought in the legendary road course driver, Boris Said. Boris has driven everything from various sports car series to V8 supercars to motorcycles and most well known in NASCAR. His countless racing stories and experiences are some of the most enjoyable that you will ever hear. Although he never had an opportunity to race in an IndyCar, I couldn't just pass up the opportunity to talk with one of the drivers that made my yearly trips to Watkins Glen so memorable. Grab your coffee and a snack and then just sit back, relax, and enjoy this special episode with Who Said? Boris Said. Hello? Hey, Boris, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I'm good. It's been a bit since I've That's seen good. you at that Walmart <laughs> a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yep. What have you been up to uh, with uh, quarantine and pandemic stuff lately? Uh, well, my car dealership's been open the whole time, so I've been doing that. But then, like, uh, three weeks ago, I caught COVID, so that was a bummer. So that put me down for a couple weeks. And uh, But over it now, so I'm all 100% now. That's great. You're feeling 100% again. It's just been yep. crazy with everything going on. It's just something none of us are really used to. Yeah, no, I didn't know one person with it. And then I went I went to Utah dirt bike ride with my son and three friends, and one of the kids had it, and we all got it. So, yeah, that was a bummer. Man, <laughs> just glad to hear you're healthy then. But um, I'll do this only one time, but um, I had to put this on uh, Who Said. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, nice. But, so no racing at Watkins Glen this year. That's a bummer. Yeah, I was really disappointed. I was all ready to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was too bad. Do you still go down there every year? Or I went last year as a guest of the track, so it was kind of fun. Yeah, it was the first time I ever watched the race there, so it's all right. I'm sure that was a bit different from being in the car. <laughs> yep, yeah, it was a lot different, a lot louder. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, starting off, uh, you know, throughout all the times you've been interviewed, what's a question that you're surprised you haven't been asked before? Hmm. I don't know. I, 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 I think I've been asked everything, you know. <laughs> but, you know, no one ever really, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I've asked so many questions, hard to, hard to think, really. Because I know a couple times I've uh, asked, like, uh, Mario Andretti, uh, what time you woke up in the morning, so <laughs> what time did you wake oh. up? That's true. I've never been asked anything like that. I mean, I, I get up early, usually like 5 a.m. Wow. You know, I, I like the morning, you know, nice and quiet, house, everyone's sleeping. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Watch a little TV with the dog. Yeah. What kind of dog do you have? I have an Australian um, cattle dog and then a little mutt, a rescue dog, a mutt. Okay. Yep. Yeah, well, I have uh, two miniature Australian shepherds, so they keep us pretty busy with running around the house and they're pretty high yeah, yeah. they got a lot of energy oh, pretty yeah. fun <laughs> yep i noticed you have the uh the pole award from daytona back in 06 oh uh, yeah yeah there's, there's all kinds of stuff in here i'm really uh, liking the setup yeah not bad yeah that's it hmm. I guess going into it, uh, where did you uh, where did you love for racing to be, uh, begin, and uh, you know how did you uh, get to you know the highest tier of just motorsports? I mean, you know, it's funny because I started where I, I didn't really, I never even watched car racing on TV growing up. You know, I was in the dirt bikes and motocross and stuff like that. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, I bought a motorcycle dealership when I was 21 years old. And I was old enough to buy it, but I didn't have the credit, you know, to get the 
floor plan, the financing for the floor planning. And um, a friend of mine who owned a Ford dealership, he was like a race dad. You know, I mean, his son raced motocross and he bought all his parts for me at the, at the store I worked at. So he um, he ended up becoming like a fake partner, you know, because, you know, so I used his credit basically. And uh, and like a year later, he gave me this trip. He goes, hey, I got this dealer trip for the Detroit Grand Prix. You should go. And I go, what's that? Goes, it's a car race, you know, Formula One car race. Like, I didn't even know what it was. And I'm like, I don't really want to go to that shit. I can't go to that. And and uh, and then eventually I went. And as soon as I saw those cars, I mean, Ayrton Senna and that Black Lotus, I mean, the sound, I was like, I got, I, I was like addicted. I had to do it. So, you know, that, that's kind of what started it all. And like two weeks later, I went to a Skip Barber racing school and, you know, three months later, I bought a, a showroom stock Mustang and, you know, started driving to the racetrack and, and, and racing my own car. So like that, that's where it started, you know, how, how it got to the highest level it's you know i just kept pushing you know i just kept asking people and always trying to get in a faster car i didn't care what it was and you know nascar was something i never thought i'd get into it i mean when i started racing of course you'd watch it and then you watch dale earnhardt you know what a badass he was and at daytona and races like that and you know basically what happened was i was working for a company no fear and the owner went into partners with Ernie Urban in a, in a truck team. And at the time, I was racing for Roush and Trans Am. And, uh, and so I kind of helped them ma- manage it a little bit. And Ernie and I became good friends. And, you know, one time he goes, you ever think of doing stock cars? I'm like, nah, I don't know anything about over racing. I don't know nothing about it. So kind of as a joke one time, they were testing at Martinsville. And he goes, get in the truck and drive it. And I'm like, all right, hell yeah. I mean, I've never said no to anything. So. That was the first time I ever drove a stock car of any kind. And uh, and I remember I started driving around, and I was so bad. He kept he kept telling me to come in, come in, come in, pit, pit, pit. And I'm like, shit, I don't know if he'll let me drive again. So I just kept going. And then one lap I came around, he was lying in the track. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I better stop. He's serious now. And uh, I was so bad. And, and then he started telling me about, you know, because in a sports car, you know, you're either on the brake or on the gas. You're, you're very aggressive. In a stock car, there's a lot of coasting and off the brake and getting it to turn. And and uh, so, so that was so that's really what started it. So then, you know, later that year, they put me in a race as, in a second truck at, at Louisville Speedway in Kentucky. And that was my first, you know, stock car of any kind. And, and so it, it was pretty, it was interesting. I loved it. You know, it was fun. So. I mean, I think that first race, I looked like E.T. at the end of the movie when he's in the river all pale. I'm like, holy Christ, how can they do this? I was so tired. Because, I mean, just the energy you're using when you're not comfortable with something was, you know, a lot more than usual. So I still remember that clear as day. And that that's just kind of what started it all. And how does, like, a sports car compare to just, like, the, the physicality versus, like, a stock car? Is, is there, like, how has, like, the difference just with the handling and the just mental and just strenuous type of activity? But, you know, like, that's a question I get asked a lot because, you know, a lot of times, you know, like at Sears Point, I would do all three races. I would do, you know, the Cup race, the Southwest Tour race, and the Trans Am race. And at Watkins Glen, I would do a sports car race, the Bush race, and the Cup race. And the cars are all, I mean, they all have their own personality. And it, it's as different as, you know, going to a batting cage and then going to hit golf balls, you know, and as long as you know it when you're sitting in the car that it's different. You know, a, a sports car is like driving a go-kart. You know, you can be so aggressive. It goes where you want it to go. And you get into a stock car, and it's a big, heavy sled. And when you turn the wheel, it takes it takes a second for it to go where you want to go. And, you know, when you're going, you know, 180 miles an hour, you know, a little bit of time to do something is a lot of time on the track. It's a lot of, it's a lot of feet. You know, at 200 miles an hour is 300 feet per second. So... It's a lot of getting used to that and managing the weight is the biggest difference, I think. Yeah. Uh, just uh, how did you persevere just throughout your career, just when you know there were uncertain times, just you know in the race car? Yeah, I mean, the uncertain times were always, "Am I going to have a ride?" You know, in the beginning, you know, I was asking. You know, the first year I financed my own year of racing, and that's all I had. Like, all right, after that, I'm going back to work. 
and and so I didn't know if I was going to have a ride. So the first two or three years, you know, every January, you're like, man, am I going to get to Daytona? Am I going to get to the 24 hours of Daytona? And you're stressing to get a ride. Um, but once I kind of got over the hump and I had a steady deal with BMW, and then I was, you know, in 1998, after I did my first cup race at the Glen, you know, I was getting called every year for the road courses. So I, I knew it was going to happen. It just seemed like it was pretty predictable. So, but as far as like the challenges in the car, I mean, you're as a driver, you're just always, I mean, for me anyway, it was, uh, I try a hundred percent, no matter what, no matter if I think that the car is uncompetitive or if I only have three wheels, it, it didn't matter. You know, whatever I had, if I only had three gears in the gearbox, you know, you just, you just drive it, you know I mean? And it's fun. It's fun when it's, it's more fun when it's competitive, but even when it's not competitive, like the last few years of my NASCAR stuff, I was in pretty uncompetitive cars. It's still fun to drive, you know, and it's still fun to race. I mean, to drive a car like at the Glen on the edge, going up through the S's, there's no feeling like that in the world. I mean, you're half scared and half laughing, you know, it's, it's a blast. And going along with the Glen, uh, what makes that place so special? Just the atmosphere. I mean, I know I've been there for a ton of years, but what's just the atmosphere on and off the track? I mean, that place, you know, like going to the Seneca Lodge, you know, the Glen Motor Inn. I mean, these family-owned hotels that have been around forever. I mean, it for me, it's like that's what America was probably like 100 years ago, you know, when everyone was just friendly and it, there's no politics and, you know, they're into the sport. You know, I mean, like every year after the uh, cup race, going to the Seneca Lodge is some of the best times of my life, you know, and, and it's like a second family. And I, you know, I was born in New York City, but I grew up in Connecticut and then lived in California for 30 years. But Watkins Glen was always kind of like my home track. And, and I just, I just love the area. It's beautiful. The falls, I mean, the whole, the whole deal. And then, and then to boot, you put this badass racetrack in that, you know, really worked for stock cars. You know I mean? It's just a great track to race cup cars on. How would you compare a Watkins Glen to just let's say just, uh, you know, another racetrack around the world that you've, uh, that you've like admired pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I think Watkins Glen is a lot like the European tracks, you know, just the way it races, you know, you can be very aggressive. It's easy to pass on. Um, I mean, some of the, you know, I compare it to a spa Belgium. It's kind of like that. There's a lot of elevation and it's, it's got your attention the whole time. Um, but that's, you know, my favorite tracks outside the country, you know, for sure, Nürburgring, Spa Belgium, Suzuka Japan. I mean, tracks like that are, are amazing, you know, and, and Watkins Glen's right up there with it. And obviously you can't talk about Watkins Glen without the set heads. Uh, <laughs> describe what yeah. they are and just uh, how did that kind of come about? I, I have no idea how it came about. I mean, it was a little, it was a little creepy in the beginning, you know, like I, I remember – you know, thinking like, man, Jeff Gordon's got all these girls yelling for him and Dale Jr. And I got a bunch of 40-year-old guys in wigs that are walking around chanting my name. It's kind of crazy. And, and But then I started thinking about it. I mean, it's, it's, of course, it makes you feel good, right? I mean, you can't help that. But, but uh, you know, after getting to know him, it's like, man, I guess if I wasn't racing, I might not be a said head, but I'd be a Dale Jr. head. I mean, they're just having a good time at the races and laughing and carrying on it was just kind of their thing so yeah it was pretty funny what was your first kind of recollection of that what did that kind of pick up steam was it during the cup leo when you started to get into the cup series or was it it, it was it definitely started in the cup series i mean i i, I still remember to the day you know I, I was a sports car racer you know and i was pretty good you know in the, in the early 90s but when i did my first cup race in 1998 at the, at the Glen, i remember then going to the airport at, and people would recognize me and like, man, no one ever recognized me before. And no one ever even, you know, I was invisible. So the cup series really, you know, it makes you well known. So it was definitely after that race in 1998, when I subbed for Jimmy Spencer, that all of a sudden, you know, you get a lot of notoriety. Cause I remember back in 2009, my first cup race there at the Glen, I'd, nobody really, you know, I did, I was still trying to learn the sport a little bit more, but I remember they, 
we're just sitting in the stands and all of a sudden I just hear some random guy stand up with a, you know, a wig on. He's like, who said? And you hear a bunch of this random boar said, and it's like, who is that? But, uh, you know, I started to get to, you know, learn who you were. I'm like, wow, that guy's pretty much a badass. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that, but those guys, I mean, you literally would be walking around, you'd hear them chanting and they were, I mean, there were some big dudes in that. I mean, there were guys you wouldn't, you definitely went on your side if you got in a ballroom, a barroom fight. But uh, it, it was it was pretty funny. It was a good time. Were there any particular fan like fan encounter that was probably one that sticks out to you as one that was like a little bit more crazy than usual, or were they kind of all the same? Uh, well, it was seemed like it was at Watkins Glen. It was always the same bunch of guys, and so whenever I could, I'd always go in and, and meet them and hang out with them. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, run up into the stands and and have fun with them. But yeah, they're all good guys. <laughs> But uh, would you say um, who would you say would be the guy, the uh, the driver that kind of influenced you as you continues to go up through the ranks? Uh, someone that was kind of like a mentor or something for you. I mean, there were a lot of them. I mean, Ernie Irving taught me a lot, you know, because I remember when I started. I mean, I drove every lap like it was my last, you know, and ten tenths, and 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 I had a lot of you know breaking cars, spinning out, crashing, and and he kind of taught me the patience because you're not race the track and race to the checker flag. And, you know, that was advice that I never forgot. So he was, he, he actually helped me a lot in stock cars. Over the course of your career, you've, you know, you've won in all sorts of various sports car series, you know, Xfinity, uh, trucks, but never were able to seem to get that cup win. Was there any particular cup race that kind of stuck out to you as like, man, I wish I could have, you know, done something different or I wish I would have had that back. Well, yeah. I mean, there was three that I could have won. You know, I mean, you know, one, one time at Sears Point, you know, I remember we lost a gearbox and I know we lost a motor there and Jeff Gordon had gearbox problem and Tony Stewart had a problem. And I'm like, man, we're going to win this race. And then we blew up, you know, and then one time at the Glen, you know, we were the fastest car there. And I remember, you know, Jeff Gordon still had a pit. I just passed, as I was passing Robbie Gordon, you know, he spun me out in the back straightaway with my rear bumper and he ended up winning that race. And, and I mean, I, I would have won that one for sure. And there was one other time at the Glen where, you know, we were, the leaders had to pit near the end and we weren't, and we thought, man, we're in good shape. We were like third or fourth. And then we blew up, we blew, lost a motor. So, I mean, you think about it because that was the one thing that I really wanted, you know, I mean, I thought it would have been pretty cool to win a cup race, but they're not easy to win. So, you know, and the odds were always against me because as a part-time guy, it is, you know, even though you're a good race car driver, you know, when you go into somebody else's backyard because they're driving those cars every weekend, it, it's really tough. And, and they're the, they're the best in the world. So, uh, you know, they used to always call us road race ringers, but I mean, we just didn't have that much of a disadvantage compared to normally, but, but so it, it, it was still, I still feel great that I, I was competitive and, and, it was some of the best times of my life racing those cup races. I mean, it was just something I'll, I'll never forget. And, and now that you retire, I mean, you think about it and you miss it. I mean, last night on TV, I was watching the 1986 Watkins Glen race, you know, with, with Tim Richmond and Bill Elliott and Dylan. And it was just, it was so cool. I mean, I wish I could have raced in that era. Yep. If you could race in any era, would you say it would be like the eighties or would it be? Uh, I'd definitely be the eighties. Yeah. I mean, I love, it just seemed like that, NASCAR had so many personalities in the eighties, you know, from the Tim Richmond and the Terry Labonis and the Dale Earnhardt and the, and the wall trip. I mean, it just looks so cool. And Benny Parsons and all those guys. I mean, it just, I, I would have, I think I would have had a blast in that era. And I love watching the old races that they show them now on TV. You can't go wrong. I feel like just the peak almost was like the mid you know the mid 80s and then like the 90s and then early 2000s i feel like it's almost kind of tapered off a little bit would you say it's kind of, or how would you say the vibe is just with just the way like it is like in you know now currently in nascar compared to when you you know earlier it to me it's a lot different now i mean it's so corporate and these you know, we don't have the personalities that we had you know you don't have mark martin and michael waltrip and dale earnhardt senior and you know all these guys you know that it just you know, the, the Ernie Irvings, you know, and I just think it's a little vanilla. You know, these young guys, they're fast, but they're boring. Most of them are just boring. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not a big personal fan of Kyle Busch, 
but the guy can drive like nobody's business. You know, I'm a, he, he's a great driver, but he's at least now he's interesting when he gets, you know, like to me, when they stick a microphone in, I mean, he might say something crazy, but at least he's entertaining. And I, I wish, I don't know if it's just that the changing of the guard is, is maybe hard to take for us maybe, but it just, I find it a, a little the personalities seem all the same, you know, they're young kids and they haven't really done much yet. I mean, they're so young, but you know, I mean, you see a guy like Chase Elliott. I mean, like that's, that's who I root for now. I mean, I think he's just crazy good Mm -hmm. and he's a nice kid and to see how good he is on a road course and a super speedway and a short track and a mile and a half. I mean, I, I, I love watching him drive, but it's just, I guess it's just a different time now. With that uh, Kyle Busch comment, was there any particular thing that just kind of set you off about him, or is this like just on the track, or is this kind of personality-wise? I don't like his personality, and we've had a few run-ins on the track before, you know, where he's, you know, I mean, he's a spoiled brat, you know, and, you know, one time I'm on, you know, old tires and practice in Atlanta, and and he just, you know, he came by on new tires and got mad that I got in his way and came over and started yelling at me, and I, mean, I almost kicked his ass, but... <laughs> But I respect him as a driver. I just, you know, he just needs a little growing up, I guess. I mean, I don't just particularly like him, you know, and, you know, but it's just the truth. <laughs> yeah. Always love the honesty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't like everybody. I mean, there's a, most of the drivers I like and I respect and I'll always respect his driving. But I think, you know, you need to treat people differently. And, you know, he's he's got a little bit of an ego, in my opinion. Or uh, besides like Kyle Busch, was there any other driver just you kind of, you know, like had, you know, has great just ability, but you just kind of felt, you know, he could take things differently or he could just uh, act a little bit differently on the track. Was there any other incidents that kind of, you know, well, came to mind? I mean, there's a lot of drivers that you're friends with, but on the track, you're like, what the hell is wrong with that guy? I mean, we, we put our helmets on and we, and we become idiots sometimes. And like Tony Stewart, I like him a lot. And I mean, I respect his driving. I mean, he's one of the best that ever was. But for some reason, we got into it on the track like two or three times in in my few NASCAR races that I've done. And, you know, after I'd be like, what the hell was that about? You know, and we talk about it. And five minutes later, we were fine. You know, I mean, like that's the kind of guy he was, you know. So and there's a lot of us like that. I mean, I have good friends but when we race together we get we always get into it we argue right because we just yeah why'd you do that you know that's dirty you know stuff like that but but that hard racing i mean that's the thing about nascar i always got the one question i always got was you know like the days of thunder thing you know they treat you different because you're a road racer and and no i mean i I like the hard racing i mean i didn't mind that at all i mean sometimes i would always get criticized for racing too hard like you know, at the Glen, you know, you're racing us, you know, you're, you're not a full-time guy, you know, you shouldn't race us that hard, but you know, somebody was paying me to drive their car and I'm not going to drive it at 85%. I'm sorry. I mean, I have to go in a hundred percent. So I didn't like that criticism and I got that a few times, but, but not by many people. I feel like that comment was also uh, made from uh, Greg Biffle <laughs> back in uh, 2011. Yeah. How did that's exactly <laughs> who it was made by. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How, what and, kind of went down with that? Like, you know, passed him in turn one. He thought, you know, I raced him too hard. that I, I shouldn't have drove it in there that deep. You know, not like he wouldn't have done it, right? So I just I just take that with a grain of salt. You know, we had we had our issue. I forget what year we had our big thing when, you know, you know, he, I wanted to fight him, you know, and and that was a bad deal. And it took a while for us to get over that. I mean, now we're really good friends again. And before that, we were good friends. So I, I, I didn't know what was going on that day. But, but yeah, we had definitely had a little issue that day. It's pretty funny. I still remember the, you know, give him a whipping quote. So. Uh, the problem, what happened there was I think my son was like seven or eight years old at the time. And I was getting interviewed. And he was at my side and he wasn't in the camera shot. So when I was getting interviewed, I mean, normally I probably would have, every other word would have been a four letter word, but because he was there, I was trying to keep it G rated. And so it sounded, it became really funny. And that, that's why it kind of went viral. I think because I was kind of making up words, not just be really careful to be 
you know, not swearing in front of my son. So yeah, it turned out pretty funny. Probably saved you a couple uh, thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. But uh, going back to, you know, like you'd mentioned about just, uh, you know, Atlanta or, you know, with the Cowbush run in, just kind of going off of like the oval tracks. Uh, how did, you know, 2005, you ran a more limited schedule with uh, MB2 racing. Um, kind of what was the difference between just trying to get your feet under you just you know, running the, you know, more ovals and kind of, what's the challenge between that and like a, a normal road course? See, like a, a normal road course, I mean, just like uh, in a sports car, you know, you're, um, you're, you're just not, you, you, you never go 200 miles an hour and throw it into turn one, this big heavy sled. So the oval racing was, I mean, it's a lot different. I mean, it, it's, I think it's a lot harder for a sports car racer to go oval racing than a NASCAR guy to jump in a sports car. Because they get in a sports car and they're like, man, this is easy. This thing does everything you want it to do. And a sports car guy is like, holy crap, you drive these things? You know, at 200 miles an hour, it's crazy. So it was a steep learning curve. But, um, you know, the chance I got with MB2 and, and Jay Fry, I mean, Jay, that was some of the my fondest memories in racing are racing with Jay Fry. I mean, he ran such a great team. And, you know, they weren't the biggest budget team, but, but they had really competitive stuff. And, uh, you know, working with Ryan Pemberton, I mean, we're still, we're still really good friends all these years, you know, later. I mean, it just, it was great, great memories. So I remember what happened was, you know, back then I, I would always get a, you know, a call for a road race, but unfortunate circumstances usually took for that, you know, where somebody got hurt. And that year, I, I'll never forget, I was in Germany racing and I was in the airport. And I get a call from Ryan Pemberton. It was the day after Jerry Nadeau got hurt at, at um, Richmond. And that's what gave me the opportunity. He goes, you want to do the road races? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. So at Sears Point, we got the pole. And then I remember getting the pole. And all I could think of is the Bud shootout. I mean, like, I'm going to get to ride at old Daytona. I mean, like, that was like a dream of mine. And I remember going to the trailer and Jay Fry was like, oh, no, 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 no. No, you don't need to do that. That's not if you're going to wreck. That's just when and how bad. And so I'm like, look, I'm not racing tomorrow unless you tell me I'm doing the Bud Shootout. We kind of just fooling around with it and then the crew guys. So he ended up putting me in the Bud Shootout, and we ended up finishing 10th at a great time. And that's when he kind of put a deal together to do some oval racing. So it was a steep learning curve. But what was good about it is I got to lean on all the guys that I helped train for road racing, I could then go back to them and say, Hey, help me out. So I was getting some pretty good advice from, you know, Dale jr. And, and, you know, all, all the guys I help, you know, Carl Edwards, I mean, and Casey Kane, they were all helping me out quite a bit. So it was a, it was definitely a steep learning curve, but, you know, I felt like I, I did okay at some tracks, you know, we had, we had some pretty decent runs. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I know, you know, fast forwarding to one year later, 2006, you know, winning the 06 uh, pole. Um, what, how was that race compared? Like, would you say it was probably one of the more highlighted races of your career? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one, I mean, Daytona, I, the first time I went there to do a sports car race, there was something about that place when you go through the tunnel and then you just look at how massive it is. And, and it was, it was really daunting. I mean, and, and your, your, the hair on your arms would stand straight up and it was, it was crazy. I remember how nervous I was the first time I, I drove a sports car there. And I'm like, oh, man, this is, this is Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty and all these greats. This is where they drove. And it, and it was amazing. So the first time I got to do it in the stock car was, you know, for the Bud Shootout. And I remember I couldn't even get out of the pits and catch the pack. You know, I'd leave the pits and they'd all leave me and then I couldn't catch them. And then I'd try to leave the pits and the pack would just go by and I'd be driving around alone. It, it was so tricky to figure out. And then, you know, to finally, you know, go there and get comfortable. And, you know, we did it with our little team that we own, you know, me and Frankie Stoddard. And, uh, you know, putting it on the pole is really all the crew chief. You know, the driver doesn't have anything to do with it there. You feel good about it. And like Jeff Gordon said, you know, like I remember he congratulated me. Hey, congratulations on the pole. I'm like, Jeff, you know as well as I do. I mean, a monkey could have done it. And he goes, Hey, you got to take the, you got to take it when you can get it. <laughs> no one else knows that, but, but, you know, then in the race to have a race where we, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure most 
drivers thought we were going to wreck or cause a wreck. So to be there at the end and be in contention and, you know, lead a bunch of laps right in the last 12 laps was, was pretty fun. I mean, it was definitely, that was one of the highlights in American racing for me. I think I know I'd, it was a lot of fun. I know I'd watched, uh, I actually watched the race the other day just to kind of, you know, watch a couple of your races. And I remember the last couple of laps of, you know, it, the cautions kind of came your way towards the end and I know, you know, you kind of leapfrog everybody to get up, you know, wasn't there something where uh, your crew chief had said, you know, let's just stay out and see what happens. Yeah. We were on old tires and I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's roll the dice. And, you know, back then you couldn't really drive wide open. You know, the track was slippery and bumpy and, uh, but those last 10, 10 of the last 12 laps when I was wide open, sliding the whole way around. And, and I still remember, I mean, Tony Stewart had a really fast car that night, but, Going into turn three, I saw him go high, and I went up to block him. And then the Bush brothers were behind us. And when they went low, I'm like, oh, I'll go low, and we'll hang Tony Stewart out. And as soon as I went low, they went high, and it was too late to change direction again. And, and I still play that back in my head like it was so close. But, but even when I finished fourth, I mean, I, I felt like I should go in the grass and do donuts because I felt like I won. I mean, that's how good it felt. So it was, it was, pre it was pretty neat. And I was with the the no fear. Uh, what was the? Uh, I know the motto was like uh, sell more cans. Uh, you know more ra exactly what exactly the, uh, the motto was. But... Sell sell more cases and do more races. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was kind of yeah. the? What kind of went into that? And uh, you know. <laughs> that there was that was just it came off it just rolled off my head. You know I didn't that wasn't pre planned. It was just you know it was um, you know, Sobe did a deal with no fear to do this energy drink. So they gave us a little bit of marketing money. And then, you know, I made a deal with like, um, uh, that race, it was dollar general. And I said, Hey, I'll put you on the car. You know, we don't have any money. They said, I said, we'll put you on the car. And if we do a good job, maybe you'll buy some product from Pepsi. And they ended up doing that. So, you know, they got a really good deal. You know, it didn't cost them anything to go on the car and, and we had a really good race. And, um, so yeah, that's kind of where that model came from. And it was, it's really like anything in racing. It's got to be a two-way street, you know? So, you know, so, so we got to sell drinks, you know, Dollar General got free exposure. So everybody was happy and I got to race the car, which was even more fun than any of it. I'm sure. But, um, you know, just, you've driven on all sorts of various, uh, racetracks over the course of your career around the world. Uh, what was, what do you feel is just the most challenging one you had to drive on? Uh, but easy. I mean, by far it's Nürburgring in Germany. I mean, that track is, you know, it's 15 and a half miles around when you do the whole formula one circuit. And, you know, it's a track that was built in the thirties, you know, so for a modern race car, you get all four wheels off the ground three times a lap. It's, it's the elevation, the blind corners, you know, and the whole track is basically six feet of grass and a guardrail. There's no room for error. And they run, you know, in 2005, when I won it, became the first American to win it, there was 230 cars entered in the race. There was snow, there was hail, there was rain. I mean, it was, it was just incredible. And there just isn't a bigger challenge on a racetrack than that, because with that many cars, I mean, just think the pit lane has 40 pits. So you have eight people sharing a pit, you know, and just to get out of the pit lane in, in practice is, is a nightmare. And then, on the racetrack that there's so many classes of cars. I mean, the slow cars, we lap every three laps and on average, we're passing 50 cars a lap, you know, on a track that doesn't really have a straightaway, but it's just, it's just, there's nothing like it in the world driving a place like that, you know, and another track in Bathurst in Australia, I did V8 supercar there. And that's kind of like a mini Nürburgring. It's only a five mile track, four and a half mile track. But there's two and a half miles of it. In two and a half miles, I think it goes up a thousand feet of elevation and down a thousand feet of elevation. So it, it literally is a mountain. It's it's insane. So th those two tracks will always stick out in my mind as technically the hardest. With Nurburgring, uh, how do you even remo just remotely prepare for such a grueling track like that? And is there any real way to know exactly what you know what's coming up ahead? Oh yeah, you, if you didn't, you'd crash. I mean, because it's so blind. And it's so fast that you, you have to, 
So I went there and BMW had a couple M3 street cars and I just did open days where they're, it's open to the public. So you just do lap after lap after lap. And it took me probably six or eight laps to memorize it. But then you start, then you start learning little details and where to pass. And, and then in the rain, you know, where is it slippery? Where is it not slippery? That, so the more you race, the more experience you get, but memorizing it, I always kind of drove it. Like I was always a world rally fan and I loved watching it. And I drive Nürburgring like I have a co-driver, but I'm the co-driver. So I'm always talking to myself. Okay, remember, press the hill, stay right, stay right. Don't, don't let it go out wide. Okay, that's flat over that brow. Make sure, make sure you're at that crack in the road. And, and so I, I'm like my own co-driver and, and, you know, just talking to myself like a rally. And that's, that's how I, I always do it. How would you? But I mean, even today, I, I memorize, I, I mean, I know it like the back of my hand. You don't forget once you learn that place. I was wondering just how do you learn just, I mean, all this goes for any type of track. How do you kind of learn and just remember it over time as you go over, you know, it's like, you know, it'll be like a year later when you go back to a track. Is there just notes that you kind of refer back to or is this kind of all is mental? It's in, it's in your head. I mean, you just kind of memorize it in your head. I mean, like Nürburgring, the first time I drove on there, I, I had an in-car video and I'd watch the in-car video on the plane over and over and over, you know, when I'm on my, you know, nine hour flight over there. So but like, you know, going back to the Glen, you just, you just remember, you know, certain things, certain tricks that, you know, that's where I got to be. And, you know, usually when I get in the car, I'll just kind of run through it in my head. you know, when you're just sitting in there before you start the motor. And I uh, just going along with that, uh, what, what type of car would you say was that throughout all of your career, would you say it to be the most, was the most challenging just to feel confident in just to know the car? Uh, well, I guess a cup car on an oval, just because it all—it never felt, it never felt, um, you know, like I was putting on like a comfortable pair of pants. You know, like when I get in the BMW M3, it's just like I know the limit of that car. Like a Trans Am car, I get into one of those, and I can be on the limit like that. But an oval, I was always like, will it stick or will it won't stick? You know, it was, it was just I—I I never had enough laps where it really felt like. I was that comfortable in it. You know, I was always a little on the edge. On a road course, I was, but on an oval, I wasn't. Just with, like, an oval, do you have to kind of have more just trust in the car, just to, just hoping that it sticks, or what's kind of the – is it kind of the mentally just trying to figure out, all right, is this going to stick going into a certain corner? Yes, exa- <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, qualifying in Atlanta, you're like, I got to be – you leave the pits on cold tires – and you're like, I got to be wide open through three and four. Or it's going to be a slow lap. You know, I'll be down 300 RPM at the start finish. So I hope this thing sticks. And it, so, yeah, it's a lot of trust. And just looking back on just throughout your career, out of all the races you've been in, was there any particular one that was the most memorable to you? Uh, I mean, there were a lot of them. You know, I mean, you, you always remember the ones you win, but. You know, you remember some that you came back from, too. I mean, I, I had a Trans Am race where a brake bleeder backed out. We came in the pits and shut it and bled the brakes and came back to finish second. And even though I didn't win, it was like, man, that was a that was a good race. You know, I raced in, you know, Trans Am races. I remember a street race in Washington, D.C., where the power steering went out on the second lap. And, you know, you raced for an hour with no power steering on a street course in I think I finished second or third there. And that, that was like a, it was a good feeling, like an accomplishment, you know, doing the Baja 1000, not winning, but just finishing felt like winning the biggest race in the world. You're like, man, that was hard. And so, you know, you get these senses of accomplishments, but, you know, for sure, you know, getting that pole in cup was pretty neat. You know, winning at Montreal was really neat because you're, sitting in the same press room where Ayrton Senna sat and Michael Schumacher. And I was thinking about that, like they were in this exact chair, you know, that was, that's, that was, that's what I was, that's why I thought it was pretty cool. So, I mean, I, I think every type of race has some certain memory, but I mean, they were all good, you know, even racing a little front wheel drive Honda, you know, at Sebring, I, I have, you know, unbelievable memories when you start thinking about it. Because this is an IndyCar podcast, I have to ask: Was there at a was there ever an opportunity that kind of presented itself just for like an open wheel ride, or was this kind of more stock car, just sports car type of thing? 
Yes, like in 1990, I think I was racing a world challenge race in, 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 in um, where was that? In uh, Des Moines, Iowa. And the race got canceled because of a flood the next day. But I was walking through looking at the Super V cars. And this guy just looked up and he knew my, I couldn't believe he knew my name. He goes, Byron said. And I'm like, he was a South African guy. And he goes, How come you never driven an open wheel car? And he goes, I go, oh, no one's ever let me. And he goes, oh, If you ever want to test, I'll, I'll test you. I go, okay, when? And, you know, like literally like a month later, I flew to California and tested at Willow Springs in this F3 car. I've never been in an open wheel car other than Skip Barber School. And, I mean, I barely fit in the thing. I mean, my knees were, you know, banging against the bulkhead. and But it was the most fun. And, I mean, I was, I was really fast. And the guy was like, wow, okay, I'm going to sign you up as my driver. And I thought the next season, I go, I got I got to you know, super V ride, but sure enough, a month before the season, he just said, I don't have any money. I got to take a rental guy. And I was out. So that was a harsh lesson early in my racing career, but that was the only time I ever drove one. I would, I would love to test an Indy car on a road course just to, just to say I did it. I tried to sit in the formula one car when Jeff Gordon drove the BMW in Indy and I can't even sit in it. Like it was, it's not even, I look like Shrek, you know, trying to get into a, go-kart so yeah there's no never a chance but i mean i love formula one and i, I love watching indycar i mean i was a huge dario franchiti fan and tony canon fan i mean just i i love the racing and i'm guessing uh just because of your height it would have would it have ever worked to kind of get into like a an open wheel type of car would they have to like kind of customize that or is there not really much room for customization it, the, the problem I'm heavy, and then my leg. I'm six four, but my legs are really long, so it just does not work in an Indy car. You know, I mean, I, I could barely get in it and barely drive it. I just, I couldn't crash one, so I, it just wouldn't. It wouldn't have been. It wasn't my uh, cup of tea. But I mean, I love watching them. Now you've been approached by just various NASCAR teams over the years to help with the testing with the road course program and helping out their drivers. Uh, how 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 did that kind of begin? Just just getting involved with uh, helping uh, various teams out with this, the road course program. Well, and after I did my first NASCAR race in '98, you know, at, at Watkins Glen, you know, I mean, I remember it was like, you know, that was the first Cup car I ever drove, and it was I don't I remember it was the following season. And all of a sudden, I get a call from uh, Eddie Wood, and he called me up. And I'm like, man, I'm talking to the Wood brothers. This is pretty cool, Eddie Wood. And he goes, hey, we're thinking of going to Sears Point. We want to know if you'll help our, our driver, Elliot Sadler, out and, uh, you know, teach him. And I go, well, I'm not really a teacher. You know, I mean, what are you thinking? Like, I'm not, I'm not a teacher. And he goes, well, I'm going to bring two cars and do some lead follow. So, so I go, I'd be in a car. He goes, yeah. I go, yeah, I'll do it. Hell, yeah, I get to drive a car for two days. And so – you know, I went up there and Elliot was a great guy. We got along great and um, drove for two days. I think I helped him out a little bit. And uh, and after it, you know, Eddie Wood goes, well, what do we owe you? And I go, ah, man, I had a blast. You know, we're good. You know, it's you do me a favor someday. No, 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 I got to pay you. What do you want to get paid? And I go, no, nah, really, I don't need anything. You just paid my hotel expenses. That's fine. And then. Like three weeks later, I got a check in the mail that was one of the biggest checks I ever got in racing, you know, from him. And I'm like, holy crap, crap, that's pretty generous. But what he must have done is at the next few NASCAR races, he must have talked about it because all of a sudden my phone just started ringing. And, you know, and I was, you know, I did over 30, 35 drivers, you know, until they outlawed testing. You know, every year I would do, you know, Carl Edwards, Casey Kane, Kevin Harvick, Dale Jr., Dale Sr. I mean, I just, I drove so many cars and it actually, you know, for Penske, for, I mean, Michael Waltrip and, you know, the list went on, but I learned how all those teams worked and I learned so much about the cars. And then I got really good at setting them up in the old days. They were a lot easier to set up. Now they're more engineering and bump stops and it's a little different, but, but it was, you know, I had some really fun times and, and then I got to meet a lot of drivers and we became friends. And I, I still remember, I was just telling the story the other day. Someone said, what's the best test you ever did? You know, uh, we went to VIR once and it was, uh, they were testing fuel mileage. It was a fuel mileage test for Roush Racing. But, but the whole two days, I mean, I would go out and run 
six or 10 laps on a car, come in and Jack Roush and Doug Yates were working on the car. I mean, they're under the hood, changing the carburetor, then say, how's that feel? Asking my opinion. And to be able to work with Jack Roush and Doug Yates like that for two days was, it was just so cool, you know, from a kid that, you know, grew up with nothing. I go, these are like the guys, like the main guys. And, and it was, it was really fun. And, and then the satisfaction came when we went to Sears Point, Carl Edwards won the race and, it was kind of a fuel mileage deal, so it, it really, really was satisfying. It was fun. How would you kind of help help them out? What is? I mean, I know you mentioned the lead follow. Was there any other certain tactic, or just kind of what would you narrow in on? Well, I think to to really do it right, you know, because you these guys are all really good drivers, some of the best in the world. So what I started getting teams to do was build a two seater. And then if you were in there with them, you could really, you know, get right down to the details, what they're doing wrong. Because most instructors that stand outside and say, oh, you're breaking too early, you're breaking too late. I mean, they're mostly full of crap. You know, I mean, if a guy's five seconds off, you can see it. But when a guy's a half a second off, you can't see it from the outside, you know. But inside the car, you can see it. So, you know, I would drive and show them a few things and then they would drive and, and I would work with them like that for two days. And that, that really, you know, like a, like a Carl Edwards, for example, I mean, I, I probably did eight days of driving with him sitting passenger seat and we had a blast. I mean, he's, he's a great guy. And, um, and it was interesting to see all the different driving styles, you know, like, you know, I mean, I think Joey Logano is probably has the quickest hand speed of anybody I've ever seen, you know, from when the car's loose from going from his butt to his, brain to his hands nobody's quicker um carl edwards is probably if you tell him you need to do this he would work at it until he got it like he was just just determined you know a, a guy like casey kane was probably the smoothest guy i've ever driven with i mean you could you could fall asleep you know and then some drivers were so bad i mean it, they'd get me sick they were so bad so it was really interesting to see the different driving styles with all those different superstars how good they were, but, but all different. You mentioned just uh bad drivers. Uh, who were some of those guys? Well, I don't want to name names, but one time Ray Evernan <coughs> had me, um, you know, go teach his driver. And I'm like, and it was, it was funny because it was during that, when they were doing that show, NBS 24 seven. So we were all mic'd up. They were micing up the test. And I thought the guy was kidding around, but he didn't know how to drive a stick. I mean, I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> Just grinding. And if I, we, I go, stop, 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 stop. And I'm like, have you ever driven a stick? He goes, no. I go, but you grew up on a farm. He goes, yeah. You know, I drove sprint cars and then indie cars, and we never had to shift them. I'm like, holy crap. You know, so he was by far the worst, but he actually got pretty good. And, you know, that was, uh, uh, his last name was Foyt, you know, so, <laughs> but, oh. but, but I was teaching him to go to Mexico, you know, for the road course. And he actually, it took a lot of tests. But I remember Ray Everham called me up. How's it going? I go, Ray, you need to get a Dodge Neon with a stick and let him learn how to shift first. You know, but, but so there was a lot of that. And it was fun, though. Made a good time. I would have thought that, you know, knowing how to do, run a stick <laughs> shift would be like your first thing, you know, being a race car driver. Right. That's what I thought. I was like, are you kidding me? You're screwing with me, aren't you? Right? No, no, no. Gosh. Yeah. But a final question. Since your last NASCAR Cup race in 2017, how much racing have you been doing and what are your plans for the future? I mean, I haven't been doing that much racing. I'm, I'm, um, I'm, uh, I've been doing some Trans Am racing for Poncho Weaver, you know, he'll build a car and, you know, we'll go do a few races. So, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, those, Trans Am cars to me are the most fun race car ever built. And now, you know, they have, you know, cup engines in them. So they're 850 horsepower with no electronic aids at all and still a gated shifter. And so if he calls me, I mean, this year we might do three or four races at the end of the year. So I just do a few races like that for fun. You know, I know Ray Evernham and Tony Stewart are starting that race series next year. And I hope I get to be a part of that. Maybe if I'm lucky enough, that would be fun. But the full-time thing's over. You know I mean? If, if one, uh, it really hit me when um, I was doing something for Rick Hendrick a couple of years ago in, in 17, actually. 
and you know he asked me to go out and drive a cup car at Sears Point and he had this deal we were, we were giving rides to like you know the CEO of Microsoft and Apple and all these big wheels out there and I'm driving a Hendrick car around Sears Point two-seater and at one point I'm like man this car is so good I and I rated I go hey what kind of lap times are we doing anyway he goes oh you you were you're running in in the top 10 if it was the cup race and I didn't even feel like I was trying and I go I was just here you know in the car I was in driving as hard as I could drive for 30th you know and now I'm in a really good car just cruising around with a you know a billionaire CEO in the passenger seat and we're and we're flying so I that 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 point I said I don't really want to drive uncompetitive cars anymore but I I miss it I mean I I watch it on TV and and just I uh, you know I, there's no way to not miss it because it was so much fun. I know I've I appreciate you so much just for just you know making the you know the experience of Watkins Glen just as special as it has been and you know it's just you've been a big part of just you know you know my dad and I when we go to we go to Watkins Glen every year since like 2009 just you know thank you for uh, you know just giving us so many memories and yeah you know, I just wanted to say that. Oh, I appreciate it. I mean, man, for me, it was just as much fun. It's just, it's a great sport. It's a great, great sport. But I appreciate you coming on today, Boris, and uh, thank you for all the great content, and uh, I'll keep in touch, man. All right, man. It's good talking to you. I'll see you later, man. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Behind the Catch Fence with special guest Boris Said. It was an absolute joy being able to chat with him about his incredible and unprecedented journey to having one of the most diverse racing careers in motorsports history. With Watkins Glen being such a special place for me over the past 11 years, having the leader of the infamous Said Heads on the podcast was a real treat. I'd like to thank Boris once again for coming on to the podcast. We're just about out of time for today's episode. Look out for more interviews and content over the next couple weeks. Before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Behind Catch. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you guys later.